Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. It is 8.07 here at WCCO. I hear this music. I have to move. I don't know, Jonathan, if you saw um, Lizzo, how she did a tribute um, to Tina. It was just one song, and it was smoking, man. It was smoking. Welcome back, everyone. As we start this 8 o'clock hour, Dorian Grilly is going to join us. Who is he? Executive Director of Bicycle Alliance of Minnesota. Why are we talking with him? Okay. A lot of state bills kept the media on its toes during this legislative session. One item that didn't get much attention concerned bike traffic at intersections. The bill, which adopts a ritual called the Idaho Stop, is the latest turn in the evolving road relationship between those who bike and those who drive. To talk about this bill, as I just said a moment ago, and its impact on both cyclists and motorists, we welcome Bicycle Alliance of Minnesota Executive Director Dorian Grilly to the show, and he joins us now on the John Schuster Caldwell Banker Hotline. How are you, sir? Fine, thanks. It was a beautiful day for bicycling. Oh, my goodness. It's been a beautiful day now for a little bit, and I'm just enjoying it so much. I was stunned to read that Minnesota just made it legal for cyclists to go through stop signs, not lights, stop signs without stopping. Tell us why this was an important piece to really fight for. Well, one of the one of the keys also is that the law says a bicyclist much, must approach the stop sign and be able to stop, yield to oncoming traffic that has the right-of-way and pedestrians, um, and if there's nobody to yield to, they can keep going. So, you know, describing it as not having to stop uh, isn't quite right. You really do have to have the ability to stop. But one of the, one of the reasons that I think the legislature was willing to do this um, is it's becoming accepted practice around the country. I think it's law in 12 states already. Uh, but I think they want to make sure that um, bicyclists uh, do have just that little bit of an advantage. They want to encourage people to bicycle. Uh, they want to make it safe for people to bicycle, and they're doing a lot of investment. Um, but this is just that one little advantage that uh, you can conserve your momentum um, when there's nobody else to yield to at a stop sign. You know, when we say there's no one else to yield to, here's the thing. You have four corners, right? When you're stopping mm-hmm. at four, there right. are four corners that are engaged. You could have anyone run out immediately if no one else is moving. Like you say, they have to come to a stop, the bicyclist, and just pause for a moment and then go when you look mm-hmm. and see that there's no one else there. However, you and I both know that people have dogs and other animals, and they come out and they run across immediately. How are we going to make sure that this doesn't, like an accident does not happen. It should be mandatory that an accident would never happen because of this particular change in the law. My fear is that either the bicyclists or the people walking with their children or their animals, I have fear that someone will not come to a complete stop. And if that's the truth, then how will we ever get this right? 
Well, the key is that the the law says that the bicyclist does have to yield to pedestrians who are in the crosswalk um, and cars that have the right of way. So, you know, I, I appreciate that we're doing a, a uh, some education right now. So I, we really need to emphasize that bicyclists do have to be able to stop and they, they should be prepared to stop if there's anyone else at that intersection. Well, we do know that this law change is going into effect on August 1st. So we do have a little bit of time to really try mm-hmm. it out. You know, are you looking at certain areas, downtown Minneapolis and St. Paul specifically, to see if it's working? Well, I really think that that's up to the local law enforcement to make sure that uh, um, they let people know that I, I know a few people that have gotten tickets for running stop signs, and I think it's appropriate. So uh, the other important thing is that the Bicycle Alliance spends most of our effort uh, implementing an elementary school safety curriculum. So we want to train kids how to safely get around their community using the existing infrastructure. And we want to make sure that they know all the rules and don't bend them. Um, and and that's uh, uh, what we hope to do. Uh, you know, it's hard to change adults' behavior. Right. Um, so I don't think it's I don't think it's going to change much. Um, it's just going to be legal for that bicyclist. And if you notice. Uh, Watch an intersection. Most cars don't come to a complete stop either. I agree with that, sir. Uh, my biggest challenge, as I keep thinking about yeah. this, is when it says um, it doesn't require bicyclists to come to a full halt at a stop mm-hmm. sign, provided no other traffic is around. That's a lot that we're putting on bicyclists. You have to look around everywhere, all four corners, to make sure everything's cool, and then you can go. Mm-hmm. But what if it's not cool? What if you missed something? That is my challenge, especially, I mean, how many lanes are we talking about? If there are two lanes for just the cars, and there's one lane mm-hmm. for just the bicyclists, and it, let's say there's 30 of them in, in a, a, a row, or even 10 of them, and they are ready to go, right? They're looking to say, I'm ready to go across, but then something happens. That's what my fear is, because we had a really hard time with downtown Minneapolis when they changed where the, the cars would park and the bicyclists would go on mm-hmm. the right side of the car. Remember that? Correct. Yes, that was that a nightmare. Was a challenge. <laughs> yes. Well, what I'm what I'm going to suggest is that I think there's probably going to be very few instances in downtown Minneapolis um, where you aren't going to meet somebody else at an intersection when you're bicycling, and that you won't have to yield the right of way. So, in most in- instances in the urban core and other busy places. Uh, the the rule really hasn't changed, uh, the, or the behavior, um, and I and I hope that we can use this as an education campaign that uh, you do have to stop in a situation that you just described. There are cars coming from every direction and ped- pedestrians coming from every direction. Uh, you do have to stop. That's what the law says. It is now 8.18 here at WCCO. Welcome back to Dorian Greeley, Executive Director of the Bicycle Alliance of Minnesota. Again, that's the Bicycle Alliance of Minnesota. And what exactly does the Bicycle Alliance do? 
Um, we are a statewide organization with member, members in every county in Minnesota. Um, we're an advocacy and education. As I described before, uh, we do an elementary school safety curriculum called Walk Bike Fun. Using the trainer, trainer model, we're reaching about 100,000 kids a year. Um, and we also do an adult learn to ride uh, program in partnership with the Metropolitan Council. Um, that's become very popular with uh, new immigrants to the Twin Cities. So many people are starting to learn a lot about bicycles and what can be done. Uh, I, I agree with that. I love that, that the knowledge is there uh, to teach the people on how to do this. My biggest challenge mm-hmm. is what about those that won't do it? I mean, should they be trained to do it first or should they be like, we have to go get our driver's license, we have to drive the car? Maybe there's something we need to do to make sure that they know what they're doing. Right. Well, that's the point of the elementary school cur- and middle school curriculum is that to make sure that kids that uh, do want to ride around town uh, can do so safely using the existing infrastructure. So you have no worries about this whatsoever? I don't. I think it's very much almost existing practice. Um, But I want to use it as a campaign to emphasize that in the situation where you described, you know, where it's busy uh, in the urban core or even in in the suburbs or a small town, um, when you come to a busy intersection, you still have to stop. Um, and yield the right of way to know the rules and yield the right of way to the pedestrians and motor vehicles that have the right of way. So I just want to make sure I read this particular law. It reads like Mm -hmm. this. A bicycle operator who approaches a stop sign must slow to a speed that allows for stopping before entering the intersection or the nearest crosswalk. If there is not a vehicle in the vicinity, the operator may make a turn or proceed through the intersection without stopping. So how do we define vicinity? Do you expect the bikers to look behind them, look to each side, each corner, or, or they just look forward? Oh, um, most definitely you have to look right and left and over your shoulder um, and certainly straight ahead. Uh, you don't want someone to turn left, uh, you know, that had got to the intersection first. Um, so I think that's a that's a standard rule, and most bicyclists obey that practice. Um, One of the things that the law also does is allows a bicyclist to ride through a right turn without turning, a right turn lane without turning right. That's probably a law that nobody knew that they were breaking on a bicycle. Um, But the issue, and, and it's certainly accepted practice that you don't want to ride out into the busy traffic lane. Um, uh, when you when you have a nice shoulder that becomes a right turn lane and then goes back to being a nice shoulder, um, but if a driver turns left and hits you, uh, it's your fault unless you pulled out into that traffic lane. So, um, when this law goes into effect, it it will no longer be the bicyclist's fault, and that uh, riding through a right turn lane, which is currently accepted practice and and the safest way, I think, to ride on a road with a shoulder. Um, that'll become legal too. Is there an age um, 
you know, it, it, do we know the age of the bicyclist? Do you say 16 and up or you just say whomever is riding a bike? What about children that may be riding right next to their parents? Uh, well, it's legal to ride two abreast unless you're blocking the traffic. Um, so children riding with their parents, I think, is a good thing to do. Um, I don't think children should be on the road um, in their neighborhood, probably unless they're 12 or 11 or 12, and have had the, the safety training that I mentioned before. Um, otherwise, they should be riding with their parents. And in a busy downtown situation, um, they should probably be a little older. I don't know if you are a father or not, sir, but as a mother, I have to tell you, um, it's terrifying to me to see that this is now happening. It's now legal in the great state of Minnesota, especially the downtown areas. I think that's what's really getting to me. If you're out in rural areas or if you're in small communities, that's one thing, you know, where the the people usually uh, ride their bikes, even in the middle of the street, because they know when it's a busy time and not a busy time. But this, the way it's defined, I am very concerned as a mother and a grandmother, particularly with my grandchildren. I would be nervous about bringing them downtown with me and doing the Idaho stop. Well, to me, that uh, you probably shouldn't bring them downtown and do the Idaho stop. You should uh, uh, come to a complete stop at an intersection unless it's completely obvious that there's nobody else there. Um, bicyclists do encounter that situation frequently, and that's part of the reason that they pushed for this law. And they pushed for this, and, law, this law for sure, and of course it's all about the bicyclists getting ahead mm-hmm. of traffic and increasing their visibility to other road mm-hmm. users as a result. I, that makes sense to me, but it's still terrifying. Mm-hmm. Well, I just got to be honest with you, sir. And my, <laughs> I am a father, and my son rides to work in downtown Denver, uh, commutes to work in downtown Denver, Colorado. So he works right in the urban core and uh, is very comfortable. And that's the benefit of having that education program. He's confident that he's doing everything right and following the rules, and he doesn't have any trouble. Well, downtown Denver is totally different from downtown Minneapolis. <laughs> so I, I will be praying. Let's just say my prayers will get bigger and stronger. That's for sure. <laughs> my goodness. All right, sir, I'm not going to hold you, but I, I really appreciate you, you um, joining us you today bet. to try to explain what this is. And if people want more information, where do they go? Is there a website where they can learn more about the Idaho stuff? Yeah. There is a blog post about the new e-bike rebate law, which won't go into effect until later this year. Um, and then there's a description of all the things that happened in the transportation bill at bikemn.org. I'd love to know who voted for that. <laughs> I just think yeah. it's nuts. Okay, sir, I really, really appreciate you being here tonight with us. Yeah. Dorian Greeley, Executive Director of Bicycle Alliance of Minnesota. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for the opportunity. All right, be safe. Take care. Yeah. Look, look forward to the side and backwards. <laughs> Will do. <laughs> Good night. Good night. All right, everyone. Um, if you really have not heard about this, this was the first time I heard about it. Um, just know that this is very serious business for me. And I'm a little nervous about it. But I think 
I think, I think it could happen if everyone has the training. That's what I want to see. It's the training. I don't care what age you are, old, young, doesn't matter. Get the training for it. It's got an interesting name, doesn't it? Idaho Stop. Idaho doesn't have downtown like we have. So I'm just thinking. I'm just thinking about that. All right. We're going to have to take a break. And, of course, we're going to come back with our next guest. Her name is Devonna Pittman. She's an author and entrepreneur. And um, she's really quite a remarkable, a remarkable woman who has been through hell and back. And now she is enjoying life and doing great things. And it inspires me to do even more. So stay tuned. 835 with Devonna Pittman. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. All right, everyone. As you know, I said earlier that I'm so excited to interview this next guest. I think she is one of the most remarkable women I have ever met. And I have known this woman for a very long time, but I'm so excited to introduce to you Devana Pittman. Now, Devana is um, remarkable in so many ways. Let's just put it like this. First of all, she's a good person. I love that about her. She is authentic. She tells her truth no matter what you think about it. And it's powerful. She's powerful. I can feel it when I'm around her. Sometimes I think to myself, you know, when you have a family, she has children. um, She's married to a beautiful man. Um, She encourages others and women that are going through. She has been at the forefront. And so many of us didn't know anything about it. All right, Devana, welcome to WCCO Radio and to uh, Steel Talking. One of my favorite things to do is find someone, especially a woman, who has and knows that she has the power, but never, ever uses it against anyone. You take that power and make or deliver something into that person. You speak something into that person that encourages them and moves them forward. Do you feel that as much as we see it and feel it? Wow. Um, thank you, Gerilyn. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I think um, a part of me is still a part of me still struggles with that. I, you know, um, I think we're all here to do good. And in order to do good, you kind of have to have some kind of introspection. Like you have to know that you have the power to make people believe that they can do what it is that they want to do or need to do. But you also have to believe that for yourself. So people, I hear people say all the time, oh, my God, Devana, you know, I can't believe. And and even when people read my resume, I'm like, wow, that's really me. Like, I really, and I just moved through life trying to find what I'm supposed to be doing and what feels good in my walk. And if I'm in a room with you, I want to make sure that um, our time spent together is well spent. And when we leave, we're better than when we came. And so that's really my my only goal. You know, it's interesting because you have come so far. You are an author. You are an entrepreneur, wife, mother, and so much more. And you just mentioned a moment ago, better believe. That is something that we all should be saying. Better believe, honey. Believe in yourself. But who helped you believe in you? 
so many people, people like you, Geraldine, um, people who get on a stage, Michael Jackson, you know, <laughs> like what does it feel like when you get on stage after stage and you do it so effortlessly? When I see you guys on the stage, and I've, I've seen you on stages long before, you know, this evolution that I'm, I'm walking in right now, but it really reminds me that whatever my gift is, if you have it and you can work your gift the way you're working your gift, I have to have the capacity to do the same somewhere. I just got to reach down and get it. Exactly. Now, I, I have to ask you this because you've been doing so much for so long. When did this journey, not just the journey we're going to talk about in just a moment, but your entire journey here in the great state of Minnesota, um, how how would you see or say when the success began? Hmm. I think, uh, you know, it was a combination of things. It was um, writing my first book. My, my first book was about overcoming sexual abuse. It was a topic that we weren't really um, talking about. And so I made the bold move to talk about the elephant in the room. And at that time, a lot of women were walking around carrying the shame. And when I told my story, people kind of attached themselves to the story because they had been, you know, walking in their own journey of healing and trying to figure out how to get, um, how to deal with the pain and find their own healing. And so that was one way. Then I started hosting these women's empowerment events, bringing women together um, to follow their dreams, to be empowered, to do um, you know, whether it was a career move, whether it was to travel or just to do all the things that they loved and whatever their heart was calling for. So I, I started meeting a lot of people that way. Um, I also had an 18-year career at Hennepin County um, working across, you know, pretty much every department doing community engagement. So um, I just met a lot of people along the way. So when I started my business, it was – then I ran for office in 2020 – I ran for office, lost by 1,200 out of 85,000 votes. Wow. So, um, you know, got most of the votes, almost almost won, came short. But um, so many people got to know my name when I ran. And it's just been an amazing journey of different pieces coming together for this moment. So then you have to pivot, right? You do one thing and it's extraordinary, or even if you don't reach the goal, you're almost there. Do you look at that and say, okay, that was great. I did that. I needed to do that. And I'm good. Or do you ever find um, something that you're reaching for and it gets harder and harder, but you never give up? That's the thing I need to hear from you. How is it that you never give up? You know, I look at it, uh, Geraldine, as, par for the course. That was where I was supposed to be in that moment. Everyone that I was supposed to meet in that journey, that whole year and a half that I ran for office, I was supposed to meet those people. Those people were supposed to meet me. And um, that season was very important. And so now, of course, when I didn't win, I was devastated for a moment. But then it was like, okay, what's next? What do we do? I had already been doing this other thing on the side this thing that I knew I couldn't stop doing because people loved it. I loved it. It brought me a peace of mind. It brought me health and wellness. And uh, I said, I'm going to go full time and do that thing. 
Well, there was a time in your life when you were um, encouraging so many women. I can't remember. Didn't you have something where uh, women would gather and you guys would get a chance to talk and really be um, authentic and honest uh, in the conversations? Is Am I thinking wrong here? But I thought you had something like that. Yes, I used to host um, annual events called Evolve, Launch, and Prosper. That's it. And it was a coming together of women to really, you know, establish who they were, who who you're supposed to be, and to see themselves beyond the moment that they're in. Seeing beyond a moment is never easy, whether you're a woman, a child, you know, it's just part of the human experience. It's not easy. Absolutely. Yet, when we watch others like you, um, really keep going, you don't stop, you may stumble for a second, and you get right back up and you do it until you get to the point where you go, yes, this is where I am (laughs) supposed to be. There are so many women that don't know that they have arrived at, this is it. How is it that you, um, did you begin encouraging women to say, you're going to get there? Or was it that you watched them first and knew to call them and say, all right, you're facing your journey. You are facing exactly what you are supposed to be facing. Because that's a real challenge for me. It's to really look through. I always look back to try to figure out where am I going now? And the answer usually is a vertical answer, right? God and me having a conversation. But other times I doubt, but it doesn't feel as though you doubt. Do you? Oh, oh, that's a tough question. Because I think I'm made up really different from most people. And so I try to give people what I think I have. And that's this crazy faith. Because I believe that if you keep putting one foot in front of the other, if you keep going toward whatever it is that you're trying to do, it's got to happen. It absolutely, I just believe that it's going to happen if you do the work. And it's really, really crazy because I don't see this from a whole lot of people. I see it from some people. Um, it's a weird space to be in because when something happens and I'm like, uh, okay, you know, you get knocked down. Like you said, you get knocked down. Um, my downtime is not very long because I jump up really quick and I'm like, okay, that happened. I got to keep going. And so I want people to feel that because I know where I come from. I know that I was born and raised in the poorest suburb of America to a single parent of seven children um, in a drug infested um, community where there was not a lot of people around me who were, you know, who were, who had real careers who were homeowners. I didn't see those kind of things. But when I moved to Minnesota over 32 years ago and things started to happen for me, I was able to increase my faith because I saw it happening for me. And so I wanted to let people know that if it happened for me, it can happen for you because I know it can. All right, we're going to take a break. We are talking with Devana Pittman, and I am telling you, she is a remarkable woman. I am so excited to know her, to love her, and to know that she is going to keep climbing those stairs to heaven, honey, because she's got a lot to do. We're going to come back and then address a really big event that is coming up soon. All right, everyone, welcome back to Steel Talk, and I'm your host, Geraldine Steele. It is what I love to do is sit here with you on a Sunday night, so thank you for joining us. Our guest, if you've been listening, is Devonna Pittman. This mom- woman is remarkable. I'm so excited to have her on tonight, and we're going to start that conversation up again because it's just, I'm smiling so much, Devonna. It's like I'm listening to you, and I am just smiling. The joy that comes out of you um, really 
you can feel it. So I'm so happy that our audience has an opportunity to hear you tonight. All right, let's start talking about when you decided to be more than just an entrepreneur, that you were going to be a woman in business, period. And you have accomplished it. What made you decide to go that direction? Was this a dream that you had in your younger years? You know, technically, no. I never saw myself as a business owner. Um, My main goal in life was to become a secretary. (laughs) I wanted to be a secretary. A secretary? Yes. I, I went to secretarial school. I learned shorthand. I learned how to type, and I could still type really fast. Um, I mean, that came in handy, but um, that's that's what I wanted for myself. You know, I did the same thing. I wanted to be a secretary. I was working at a, a part a part time job and working in all the departments. And man, I loved it. That that IBM machine. <laughs> I forget the name of the the one that everybody wanted. Ooh, you could type so fast. Now, don't even ask yeah. me. My nails stop me right now. Just forget about it. <laughs> I'll tell you, I'll tell you. Okay, so here you are, an entrepreneur, a businesswoman that is getting it done. You've decided to start um, making your own products. Was it because your skin, your hair, you just said, hey, this is, I think I can do this. I think I can do it better. Is that how it went? You know, I, um, I I had had a relaxer, a chemical relaxer in my hair for as long as I could remember. After I wrote my first book, I just, you know, there was something about that journey that um, impressed upon me that I needed to be authentic in, you know, as many ways as I could. And one of those ways was um, the way I wore my hair. And I wore my hair straight because it was a European standard. But a part of me really wanted to experience my hair the way it grew out of my scalp. Um, So I cut my hair down from about 14 inches to a half inch to finally experience the way it grew out of my scalp. And when I did that, I woke up the next morning and I was like, oh, my God, what the heck did I just do? (laughs) (laughs) You had to figure it out, right? (laughs) I didn't didn't know that hair. I, you know, I didn't know the texture. So I ended up having to formulate um, products for my hair because I didn't find anything in the store that really worked. And it it just um, evolved into something that I never expected or imagined. Um, I went from having this one shea butter blend product to now um, having formulated over 85 products. Wow. And I have tried out your products and I love them. I'm sitting here now thinking, oh, my God, when is she going to? Okay, when is this big launch going to happen? Well, the big launch happened today. And I want to know what it was like. I want to know, first of all, how did you say to yourself, oh my God, this is going to happen on Sunday. You know, (laughs) did you get nervous about it at all? You know, yes, absolutely. I was absolutely nervous. Like who um, has a, or, or, or steps into this partnership with a major retailer uh, like Macy's and doesn't get nervous. Right. You know, you feel like um, everything needs to be perfect and everything is never always perfect. But, um, yeah, it was nerve wracking, but it's also very, very exciting to be able to be in this moment and to know that um, I've worked so hard and um, never expected this. But it was opportunity meeting preparation, um, you know, the journey and everything coming together. So 
Yes. So now that Macy's is picking up your products, okay, we can go into the stores and find Ivana's product. Let people know the name of it. Let them know where they can find it. So um, Nature Syrup Hair and Skin Care, we are um, virtually an e-commerce brand right now through the Macy's Marketplace. So you can get our products on Macy's.com or NatureSyrup.com. So very, very exciting. Um, A lot of people don't really shop in the stores anymore, and so we made the decision to just, um, for right now, as we gear up and and get our bearings, um, you know, things are just going really, really fast for the business right now, and so we want to be able to have a handle on everything. So Macy's.com, NatureSyrup.com. I'm so excited about it. You know how many times I've gone online and I'm looking for the products and I'm going, oh, I got to get this one. I got to get this one. I it's fabulous, you guys. And it doesn't just mean it's for women of color, right? Right. Yeah. So our, our products are plant-based. We have hair and skincare products. And the number one question that we have from our white friends, our white family, is can we use your products too? Because I formulate products for people with textured hair. We were recently at um, Art of World, and when I tell you I've never seen so many white people buy curly hair products, yeah, it blew my mind. We sold out two days in a row. So if you're having any hair loss, we have hair loss products. Um, textured hair does not just mean black hair. It means if your hair is textured, we got you. Well, you know, Shaletta Brundage and I love your products. And um, we're so grateful that you have come so far. If people want more information, Aww. give us those websites again or links again where we can find your products. Because I want everyone to try this out. Just go. Get whatever you need. Thank you, Gerilyn. Our products, our plant-based products can be found at naturesyrup.com. So that's two S's, naturesyrup.com. And later this week, you will be able to get our products on Macy's.com. Macy's.com. Girl, I wouldn't be able to sleep at all, okay? (laughs) Yes. Congratulations. Congratulations. I adore you. And I will be praying that you keep keep going up. Keep going up as far as high as you can go. I'll be watching. I'll be there. And if you ever need me, you call me, okay? I will. You know I will. All right. That is Tavana Pittman. You do not want to miss it. It's called naturesyrup.com. Okay, everyone. I just want to say that this this way that this this amount of time that I've been knowing Devonna Pittman, I cannot tell you how grateful I am to have to know her, to know what she does. I watch her work. I watch her think. And it is really something that encourages me. There's so many things that I want to do in life. And this woman is doing it. She is making her dreams come forward. Not just her dreams, but all of the things that she has ever wanted to do. She is working on every one of them. So even Even if you listen tonight and you hear that she is, you know, really building her brand. And not only that, I mean, Macy's, come on, that's a really big deal. So if you can support, please do. I will be supporting. I I get the hair products. I get the perfumes. I get the soaps. There's a lavender soap that is ridiculously amazing. Yeah, and it can just go on and on. I'm not trying to sell her wares to you. I'm just trying to let you know that there are people, women of color, who are working so hard to do great things and they are getting it done. That's what 
builds me up, whether it's me singing more, doing more, whatever it is. I have all of these things that I want to do, and I kind of let it slip back for a minute and go, okay, wait, let me make sure I'm ready for this. Oh, I'm so ready. And now that I've seen how she works, like like today, really noticing what she does, ah, I'm so encouraged. And I know that I'm going to do even more as the future keeps taking me forward. And it can happen for you. Never, ever accept no for an answer when no is not an option. Got that? Coming up next, of course, is Center Stage. All things arts and entertainment. We just believe you ought to know about it. And we are really thrilled to have some great guests. We got bands and, of course, the Children's Theater Company now has a brand new, um, I want to make sure that I say this correctly, they have a brand new casting director uh, for Allianz Theater or Alliance Theater in Atlanta and um, has been appointed CTC's casting director now. Um, and she's going to join us at the 9.08 hour, the first interview for the 9 o'clock hour. So you don't want to miss it. There's so much going on. And, of course, my other producer, Chris Tubbs, does the center stage. And thank you, Chris, for coming up with such great guests at 9.20. We have Joel Court or Corti. I will find out how to pronounce that. Uh, it's called Mostly Trees. That's the name of the. Tell that again to me, please. Cordy, Joel Cordy and his band, Mostly Trees. So I'm really excited about that. I get to know about these people that I've never known before. They're getting to know this person, and I'm really excited about it. At 9.33, we're going to talk to Steam Machine, um, and we're just going to find out what music is happening, what's happening in the theaters, and so much more. So don't go away. We hope that you'll stick and stay with us tonight. This is one of my favorite things to do is be a part of Center Stage. All right, Jonathan, I'm going to take a deep breath and get ready for center stage. How about you? We'll be back in a moment. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.